My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to Owen Kerr. We talk about game therapy, powered by the apocalypse, and then have a very long discussion about emergent play. And Owen gives a bunch of examples on kind of how to do this. So I think this is going to be really helpful for game masters who are looking to improv a little bit and also to just figure out what the next steps of their stories are. Before we jump into the episode, I just want to thank all of my listeners and give you a few ways that you can help support the podcast. The first way is just by listening to the episode. So congratulations, you're already helping me out. You can also interact with the podcast in any way, like, share, all of the usual things that also greatly helps me out, and it's super easy to do. The next way you can help is by interacting with the community, hanging out in the Discord server, playing or running games on the server, or joining in our design contests that we run. The third way you can help is by being interviewed or letting somebody else know that they should get on the show. All you got to do is contact me via Discord or Twitter or wherever and we'll get some time scheduled to get you in on an episode. If you're still looking for ways to support the show, you can always use one of the affiliate links in the show notes for any of the RPGs or books that are mentioned. They link to either Amazon or DriveThruRPG, and if you make a sale for anything on one of those sites after using a link, then I get a small percentage of the sales. That's a great way to support the show while also getting something for yourself. And finally, the last way is you can support me on Patreon or buy me a coffee. I will have links in the show notes on where to go for that. And that's just a simple monthly donation to help fund future design competitions and equipment purchases and stuff like that. Thank you again to all of my listeners. I feel like we've been growing a really awesome community here around tabletop role-playing games. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome, everybody. Today I have Owen Kerr with me, writer, pro GM, and indie game designer. Welcome, Owen. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate being here, bro. Yeah, glad to have you. Owen, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the tabletop role-playing hobby? Well, um, a long time ago, back in the late Bronze Age, there was a science fiction book club. And uh, as an avid reader, um, one of the things that popped up on my uh next up list was a game called i'm sorry a book called fantasy wargaming by bruce galloway Uh, the subtitle is the highest level of all and i of course have been playing games since i was a kid um and i'd never heard of wargaming fantasy or otherwise so of course i got this book and it's brilliant um as far as a take on medieval history uh theology um, their attitudes about magic and the church and whatnot. It also had a complete role-playing game and a complete tabletop war game built into it. The role-playing game was completely unplayable, though I didn't know it at the time. I was just fascinated. The war game was a little less clunky, but I've literally been mining this book for ideas since the 80s. Um, the funny thing about it is it mentioned Dungeons and Dragons, which I had had some, I'd heard some vague bells about, but it talked about how Dungeons and Dragons was in many ways unsatisfactory. Um, so now I wanted to know all I could about that. Um, bumped into some people in junior high and high school who were also 
gamers. Um, we rolled a lot of dice, uh, played a lot of different systems, um, and uh, and really never looked back. My uh, my experiences have been modified heavily because uh, when I got to college, I got involved with the Society for Creative Anachronisms, um, and uh, I started uh, learning how and eventually teaching uh, light weapons combat. So I learned a little bit more about, hmm, how does armor really work? How do weapons really work? Um, what uh, What's an advantage? What's a disadvantage? What is initiative? Uh, taking my history of uh, England classes, I was a theater major, but uh, took a lot of history classes and looking into things like strategy and tactics and um, and whatnot. So I had a, a lot of wide and varied inputs into the whole idea of what it is to play a game and what it is to role play. So um, I know my experiences weren't uh, weren't eight or weren't, weren't typical. Yeah, it sounds like you've got quite the background then in in like medieval history and that sort of thing. Oh, a little bit, a little bit more than some. Uh, again, I'm not an expert, um, but then of course I was a big big reader, so I'm reading all the Tolkien and uh, Raymond Feist, Fritz Leiber. Um, Michael Moorcock, um, you know, if you ever want to know about law, law and good and chaos and evil, Michael Moorcock is where old Gary stole most of his ideas. Um, so it's been uh, it's been kind of a wild ride. Um, I also was a teacher for 12 years and I started game clubs at every school where I taught, um, including my alma mater. I uh, restarted the game club that we had started at my high school back in my teens. Um, I restarted it back in 2015. Um, so it's uh, it's been very, uh, very satisfying to me to introduce new players to the hobby, um, to, you know, get them focused, get them interested, and show them a wide variety of things that they can play. And with the new, with the indie games renaissance, it's just anything you want to anything you want to run anything you want to play any any um avenues you want to explore they're out there you know and there's a game designed for it my most current um uh focus is uh there are some therapy groups there's some doctors who are doing um game game therapy wherein their uh, clients will go and play some role-playing games and explore some of the uh, avenues that they're exploring in therapy, uh, the GM takes that information back to the doctor and says, you know, patient X is doing X, Y, and Z. Maybe you want to talk about that, uh, which is fascinating to me um, because um, the, the the idea that something that I've been doing for uh, out of love and as a hobby for 30 plus years is actually going to be able to help somebody, you know, work through, work through some issues and some um, struggles uh that that's again as a teacher somebody who wants to nurture um <laughs> the the people around me and help them to grow uh that just that really makes me happy that that people are doing this and i'm i'm, I'm really excited to be a part of it yeah that's really cool i haven't i haven't seen I, i've seen that uh games can be used kind of as therapy or mm -hmm or kind of in tandem with it, but I haven't necessarily seen it like in practice, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but I would be very interested in seeing that um, just aside from the, the regular ways that gaming can be 
you know, help you to relax and de-stress and, and all those other things. Right. Right. Um, do you find, do you have like a certain, um, game or system that you are, you know, drawn to specifically that you play a lot of, or do you kind of with the indie games, do you tend to play a lot of different games? Um, well, I'm going to answer that two different ways. One, there's a system that I, I am drawn to, um, because I appreciate the philosophy of it. And we can talk about the philosophy of systems here in a minute, if you want to. Um, basically I like the powered by apocalypse system powered by the apocalypse absolutely blew my doors off the first time I saw it. I encountered it online, um, since Vincent Baker was, oops, Vincent Baker was releasing the, uh, character sheets for free and I picked it up and I saw, I, I said 90% of the system is built into the character sheet. You can see exactly what your players can do. You can see exactly what your character can do and the growth mechanics are built right in. And I, and it was just a, a two pager front and back, you know, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then uh, the focus of PBTA is always on relationships. It's always on relationships between the, the characters, how they interact, how they're interacting with their environment. I love that the GM doesn't roll any dice um, because it's, you know, this isn't, this isn't my story. This is all of our stories. And uh, I love how anytime anyone picks up the dice, something happens. Also, so many of the, since Vincent, Vince is great. Uh, he, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar with the PBTA, he basically said, hey, folks, I, yeah, I know I won all the awards for this indie game. Do whatever the hell you want with the rolls, okay? Just somewhere in there, just put a little block of text that says, yeah, Vince Baker uh, and the fam came up with this. And then do what you want with it. So, of course, there was the obvious explosion of PBTA titles, some of which are yeah. really spectacular. Um, but I love the one I bumped into uh, was um, experiences through failure. And as a math teacher, as, a, as an English teacher, um, it's like, oh, wait, 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 you're getting experience by failing? Well, all of the, all the education classes will tell you that's exactly when the learning happens. It's not when you get everything the first time. It's when you try something that doesn't work. And so I fell in love with that mechanic. Um, and between the uh, between the player interaction mechanics and the the fail forward and the just because you fail, the narrative doesn't stop, um, absolutely fell head over heels. Um, and the other thing I like about PBTA is I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm too old to learn a new system. Uh, I just, you know, uh, a friend of mine, uh, when, again, I was running the game club and a friend of mine says, Hey, I've got an extra copy of dungeon crawl classics. And I said, Oh, send it to me. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a paperweight. It's about half the size of a dictionary. And I looked at it and I said, I am never going to be able to get through this book. I'm never going to give this to a student and say, here, you need to learn this. I made it available for all my students if they wanted to explore new stuff. But it's like, I, I don't have time. You know, I'm, I, I've got a family, I've got, you know, school, I've got all this other stuff. I don't have time to learn a new system. But since PBTA is all, you know, basically cut from the same cloth, and really the only thing that you have to learn in a new game is a new setting or maybe a couple of new rules, quirks, it's, it's the same thing plus. So typically I'll steer new players toward PBTA also because it's so easy to pick up. 
five minutes to come up with a character, you know, 10 minutes maybe to explore the rules, or we can just jump in and you can try stuff. Um, and I love that my new players pick it up instantly. They just soak it up like a sponge. And my veteran players, once they realize that the sky's the limit, they can literally try anything. Um, and if it doesn't fall under a move, you know, if you don't have to say no, why not just say yes? And if it does fall under a move, you roll some dice. If the dice don't go your way, some interesting thing happens to your character. And we keep going. And the story progresses. So, yeah, I have to say the PBTA. I have a fondness for um, the Blades in the Dark, the, the Forged in the Dark uh, offshoot of that. It shares a lot of the same DNA as PBTA. Um, my, my heart of hearts is with a game called Band of Blades um very very grim dark military musket fantasy um you know fighting a rear guard action with your mercenary company against the oncoming hordes of undead um because i was a huge fan of glenn cook and his black company series and an episodic uh military um uh, military fantasy that's got a very uh a grim cast to it really really makes me happy but i don't insist i know that i know that that one's not for everybody but any anytime i can talk someone into playing it with me i, I really enjoy it <laughs> um i also really enjoy a lot of the things that the part by the apocalypse games do and the forge in the dark mm -hmm. um especially the the failure mechanics and mm -hmm. just the uh the partial success and like you said oh, yeah. every every role is you're doing something in the narrative the, the narrative never stops it's always yes. something is happening yes it's and it's beautiful and it's beautiful um my players um when i was when i was running games at the at the schools every now and again other teachers would find out that i was running a game and they're we're all geeks and so they'd show up and say hey can i can i play in your game and everybody learned very quickly um you know that failure mechanic you're like well you know this bad thing could happen or this bad thing could happen or and you could hear the capital letters something interesting happens and every single player i've ever had is like why don't you just make up something interesting that happens and uh because it usually is very painful to the to the pc but very entertaining to the party um so uh it, that it, it, that could be a really good time. Remind me to tell you about the time my player failed 17 rolls in a row, though. That was really educational. The, one of the other things that I like about a lot of the moves in the Powered by the Apocalypse games is that they often do give the player a choice between what bad thing happens, depending on how well they roll. Exactly. And I'm, uh, as again, a huge fan of player agency, um, since that's, you know, baked into the system, um, you know, well, what do you, what do you want to have happen? You know, if, if it's going well, how, how does it go well? If it's going marginally, what, uh, what, what negative consequences do you think you can survive? Did you drop the rope? You made it up the cliff, but you dropped the rope. Um, you know, did the rope get cut? You, there's no way back. What, you know, what, what's your choice on that? The other thing I like that's baked into the system is the, um the gm doesn't have to make all the decisions all right you know when the when the players say hey so what's the king like and you're just you know it's been a long night you're like i don't know what what's the king like 
and they get that look in their eye and they're like oh he's he's skinny he's this tall skinny guy and he eats like a horse nobody can really and he's not sick but he eats all the time and he's really skinny and he really likes books oh, okay cool and you know you make a few notes and you run with that um you know put in some some plot hooks based on the fact that he likes food and likes books okay cool my best story about that I was playing with a junior high school crew. One of the kids, new kid, he had never even heard of role-playing games before. And, you know, he'd never played any of the RPG video games or whatever. I don't know why. But um, I was running through a very, very basic um, scenario. And they ran into some goblins. And he was like the ranger or the scout or something. And he's like, ooh, what are goblins like? I said, I don't know. What are goblins like? And he sits up and he's, they're, they're rich. Are they really? I'm taking notes. Uh, why are they rich? Uh, because they trade. They're merchants. They're merchants and traders. They trade. Oh, okay. And I'm taking a few notes. And in my head, these little goblins, you know, spears and teeth, went from nasty little green skinned guys who will murder you to just folks. And in my head, the city, they were down in the sewers, the city in my head went blump. And now there's the goblin quarter you know and everybody's got their favorite like goblin restaurant oh have you been down to globnars oh my gosh you <laughs> roasted rat you know everybody's hey those boots look pretty nasty why did i have a there's a goblin shoemaker right down the road he just he'll he'll set you up okay so the party jumps out to attack the goblins and the goblins are like we'll call a cop what are you doing stop it you know the guard and they're like what and they're like, i'm sorry gentlemen we're lost can you can you help us find a way out and the party's like, oh, uh, yeah, you go that way. So instantaneously, goblins became just folks, which was funny because um, in a later game, I had a more experienced crew. A later game, I'm like, I'm going to surprise them. Goblins are going to be just folks. And they bump into this character, Grishnach, uh, one of my one of my reoccurring NPCs. I love Grishnach. He's this little, he, 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 he's taller and better spoken than Yoda, but he is a wise little guy. And... Um, they're like, oh, excuse me, gentlemen, we're lost down here in the sewers. Could you help us find a way out? They're like, sure. And they asked a few questions about goblins. And um, and they go off and they do all sorts of adventures and stuff. And I'm thinking, just, just kicking in my... And again, I haven't planned any of this. I'm kicking it over in my head. I've been reading Neil Gaiman's um, Norse mythology. And I'm like, okay, dwarves and goblins and elves and fairies, as far as the Norse were concerned, are all the same thing. So if goblins are just a different kind of fairy, why are they here? And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll think about that later. They're off doing stuff and, you know, fighting the gnolls and they're headed back. And I'm like, why are the goblins here? They, they, they cut themselves off from fairy. Hmm. Why? I don't know. I'll think about it later. So gaming, gaming, gaming. And one of the big pivot points in my campaign was we had a paladin of the local goddess. I wanted the local holy mother to be assassinated. Okay. The pope equivalent of this goddess to be assassinated and i didn't really know why because again you know play to find out what happens i was like oh the uh, the holy mother got assassinated paladin is beside himself he's like well well we, we we'll we'll talk to the goddess we've got we've got priests who can talk to the goddess uh, we'll ask her who, who who murdered the holy mother she won't tell you what yeah all the divination zero information and the goddess says no she's fine she's right here at my right hand you know, she served me well, servant. She's happy. Um, stop asking. And the paladin, again, now is about to bleed out of both eyes. And he's like, we're going to find the murderer. We're going to find... And I don't even know who did it, okay? Brock, I don't even know who did it. So I'm trying to make some stuff up. 
and they keep coming back and goblins keep coming up and keep coming up and i'm like why would the goblins have murdered the holy mother that doesn't make any sense well why did they escape from fairy well oh they were slaves oh there were slaves in fairy oh okay well how did they get out well they 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 did a ritual and they like came to this side and they they cut themselves off well how are they slaves i mean they're powerful they were used to be really powerful magically somebody had a ring a ring of goblin control Ooh, the earl king the king of fairy he had a ring of goblin control and he had slaved them and just crushed them and they're like no we'll never be slaves again and they stole the ring and they fled across to reality and they cut off their cut off their ties to fairy and they threw the ring in the ocean and of course magical rings like to be found so now it ended <laughs> up in the holy mother's official gear you know there's the staff of plenty and there's the ring of this and the crown of that and when the goblins showed up in reality they sent a minor little delegation to the holler we can't tell her she's got a ring of goblin control or we'll be enslaved again and this is another one of those we you will never in old grishnak the character the, the npc that they had bumped into and that literally their first adventure he uh he ran a tea shop and he always said hey come on in for some tea and they've been in Grishnak's tea shop like a hundred times. And they come in and they're like, and the paladin's like, uh, Grishnak, we need to know everything you know about the murder of the Holy Mother. And old Grish sets down the teapot very carefully. And he turns around and he tells them this story. He tells them the story of this enslavement. And he said, and then there was this young, impressionable goblin that was trained up. And he served the, he served the goddess to the best of his ability. And he got higher and higher in her esteem until one day she said, I, I'll grant you a boon, my child. And he said, can we kill the Holy Mother? And explained it. And the <laughs> goddess said, okay. <laughs> and, and again, the, the party is getting more and more and more tense. And old Grishnak opens up his robe and tattooed to his chest is the most exquisite holy symbol to the goddess. He said, I was that goblin. And yes, I killed her. And he looks the paladin right in the eye and says, Stand down, sir. I outrank you. The party lost <laughs> their <laughs> minds. Okay. And again, this all emerged from play. This all emerged from questions. Because I didn't plan I couldn't have planned that. Come on. I'm not I'm not that good. I couldn't have planned all that. I'm just like, hmm, it just keeps coming a bubble, 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 and just you know, let it churn. So from a a offhand comment by a seventh grader 12 years ago goblins are folks here's grishnak i love grishnak let's bring him back bubble bubble i i want this event to happen but i don't know anything of the surrounding and just let the players do stuff and ask questions and as they ask questions i'm answering them and i'm like okay it seems like we have an answer here but um and i and i love i love that that's baked into the the system because anytime um, anytime a player, you, you've had this player, um, the paranoid one, you know, they're, they're doing whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we were playing and my buddy was like, oh, oh my God. And everybody looks at him. What is it? It's the prince. What? The prince is behind all this. The prince hired us to find out what, no, it was a member the hobgoblins and the dagger and, and, and the, and the dragon poop. And, and he had come up with this elaborate conspiracy theory about how the prince is behind this. And I know that Prince was not behind it, but that was a much better idea than the one I had planned. So I'm taking notes and they're looking at me. And I'm like, maybe, hmm, 
maybe and so uh and i have told other gms this i was like take your players paranoia and run with it okay because if they come up with a better plot than you have which they will just run with it and here's the cool part if you give them 90 percent back of what they gave you oh you find a half of a uniform like the uniform pants what color they're purple the prince's guard wears purple pants well yeah that's true you know, it's like, oh gosh, you know, and then they, they they think they're right, and you're, they're patting themselves on the back, and then when you put in that sudden surprise twist at the end, it wasn't the prince. You've got the prince surrounded. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And the queen and her guards come in. And it's like, ah, seize them, the fools! Oh gosh, it was the queen the whole time. We are fooled, but they were right the whole time, and they just, it's 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 amazing when you when you um, can feed them back their own plot line with some twists and curves to it and you know it, it's it's amazing it, the the paranoid player is is so common to have somebody that's just spilling like i think it's this i think this is happening what if what if this was right. the case and then right. oftentimes it's the gm it's like you're just trying to not not smirk too big. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and they don't even have to out. be paranoid. They don't even have to be paranoid. They just have to be one of those people who thinks out loud. And they're like, huh, you know, we just got in here. And the, and the dragon isn't here. Maybe the dragon's, like, got a different lair someplace. You're like, different lair, dragon. This is a, you know, maybe this is like a decoy lair. Oh, decoy lair. This is a decoy lair. They're going to find traps. <laughs> you know, it's just like, even if they're just thinking out loud, it's amazing. And again, it's that whole, um, one of the things I'd strongly suggest for anybody who really, really wants to dig into the whole GM thing, take some improv classes, even just watching some YouTube stuff on, on how to do improv, because, um, we had to do that in my, in my classes, uh, when I was going to ASU and when you get used to taking, you know, in the moment, taking the information that you're getting from another person. You're like, oh, officer, I'm so glad you're here. Okay, I'm a police officer now. I'm investigating. So what seems to be the problem, ma'am? Oh, um, uh, mice have stolen my slippers. Okay, I've got to deal with stolen slippers. You know, are you sure it's the mice? Well, yes. Okay. And the whole giving back and giving back and giving back and saying yes and saying yes. Um, somebody on TikTok was asking, are you a adversarial GM or are you a um, an advocate? gm and i have to say if i mean if it's a spectrum and it probably is i'm very very much a player advocate okay i really i i love it when a player comes up with an interesting character that's got some flaws that's got some room for growth and potential and just runs with it and i like to give them opportunities to shine and opportunities to improve but some of my best um some of my best games are were are based on some like serious flaws in the character um i ran a middle earth campaign for four years every friday and uh, one of my players he's like i'd like to play but i don't know anything about middle earth and i said that's okay you can play a character that doesn't know anything that doesn't have any like you know not a, like an elf who's got a you know ten thousand year history you can play one of these i don't know hillman you can play a dunland dunlending he's like okay and my other buddy who was basically a tolkien scholar um he played the big elf and so they hooked up, and anytime he was like, "Well, we could go to Austin Ethel," and the one character would be like, "What's an Austin Ethel?" And I'd be like, "Okay, take it away." And the elf <laughs> explained to him, "You know, I don't know this stuff." You know, it's like, well, Austin Ethel was a city that blah 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 blah. And he's like, "Oh, okay, let's do that." So I didn't have to do any of that 
um, you know, setting, lore, any of that, nothing. Um, and again, he was great. That character was great because, um, you know, I'd throw, I'd throw like a, a, like a, the equivalent of like a plus one dagger at the party and the elf gets a hold of it and he's like, oh, what's the design? I said, it's obviously elvish work. He's like, oh my gosh, this, this could be a blade from Nargothrond. I'm like, maybe Nargothrond, N-A-R-G. And um, it was this dumb little plus one dagger. That was it. But it became this, this elf character's absolute prize possession you know he would have lost his left arm before he had given up this little <laughs> piece of his history and again i couldn't have made that up you know but when i saw the player when the player showed me how important it was to the character um it's like of course yeah of course that is yeah why you know why would you ever say no to that no dummy it's just a plus one dagger just don't you know don't have a hemorrhage here dude no no oh, oh no oh and it's got the oh is that is that mithril inlay on that oh he would have like slapped his mom to, for, for this dagger it was just amazing again you know to take what they give you and give it back and they and they don't seem to recognize it i really like the uh the elf player giving the other one the the history it's almost oh. it's almost like you had like in tv shows and in books and stuff a lot right. of times you'll have like the one character that understands everything and then right. just telling them so that the audience can get it but exactly you know exactly in it was yeah uh duncod duncod of clan duncod was the everyman character and uh you know he gets introduced to you know well this is uh this is uh elrond and oh, I think he was a bard. He said, "This is Elrond. He's uh, he's the master of the last homely house." And he's like, "Hey, you know, Elrond, I've been learning some songs in Elvish. Uh, would you like to hear one?" And oh, yes, of course. You know, being you know genteel, yes. Oh, of course, I'd love to hear a song from you. You know, primitive, short-lived human. And he whips out the lay of the Helcaraxa. Where the elves crossed the grinding ice and thousands died coming back to per persecute the war against Melkor. And I'm like, oh my god. And I'm looking at my other player, my elf player, and I'm like, El Elrond walked across the Helcarax, didn't he? Elrond was there. Okay, you've just you've just done done the song of the sinking of the Titanic, and you're singing it to Molly Brown. Okay, <laughs> she she lived this, and it's like, oh, uh, Elrond has to take a moment. He's going to have a little bit of a lie down, and you know, try not to try not to commit homicide. But uh, I mean, fun fun times were had by all. Um, and yeah, again, having having the character that knows nothing was it was it was a, it was a perfect storm having the player that knows you know has read all 13 books of of unfinished tales and the player who literally knows nothing um about the about the lore was really educational because again a third of the time i could just sit back and 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 let him go you know take it away you know you 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 have the floor um so yeah yeah they uh and players will surprise you usually in 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 positive ways um and 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 i learned that on a, on a number of different arenas um i used to teach geometry and one of the assignments i gave was make me a 12-sider and i'd give them a pattern for a 12-sided object it basically looked like a 12-sided die and um and they were surprised i mean they one wanted to make it out of like cardboard and didn't have it. I said, "Where's your project?" They said, "I'm I'm I'm hot gluing it together at home." I'm like, "Oh, check out crafty crafty Joe here." Okay, just bring it in. And they're doing this and doing this and doing this. And one of my students, who is a welding student, not 
the greatest geometrician in the world comes in with a solid steel 12 side <laughs> the size of a fist and he sets it on my desk and he says is that good for extra credit i said no that's that's an a plus right there he, he had welded it together and he polished it and uh, i was like this i i could never have asked you to do this but you did it and th this this took some, i mean it wasn't like perfect or anything but it, it was the it was the best uh thing i'd ever gotten out of a student before especially a marginal one and of course the following year one of my other welding students saw it and thought that was cool and made me another one so i've got a set and i can kill you with them from a distance I would, if i dropped the money from a that would be uh, <laughs> purely lethal but it's just like this is amazing you know and it's the same way with your players if you give them some parameters and and let them go nuts they're going to give you some amazing uh amazing gameplay and it gets back to that whole play to find out what happens and if i had any any tips to a gm especially a new one i'd say you don't have to know everything that's going to happen you know you don't um you you can have some ideas you can have some some you know what do they call it in uh apocalypse world some off-screen badness you know you can have an idea okay you've got the little village and there's the bandits and there's the dragon and there's the goblins or whatever you can have those ideas and you can say okay um these bad things are going to happen if if nobody intervenes um but you don't have to you don't have to know all the specifics um and then again if you if you give your players you know the the gaming equivalent of some um like some simple coloring pages here's a character you like why don't you color this one oh i'm gonna curly cue in the corners and i'm gonna doodle and i'm gonna add this in yeah please do and then give it back and we'll all enjoy it um you know here's this map oh my uh my, you know where are you from my my uh my people are from a very poor duchy oh okay um poor so i'm like poor what's poor usually rocky mountainous that sort of thing i said what do you export they're uh, mostly mercenaries oh okay so i'm talking highlanders i'm talking sikhs i'm talking gurkhas okay so tell me about tell me about that um well i was uh, my father was a general and i was being trained up to be an officer but i pissed him off and i left and now he's got people looking for me fantastic fantastic let's run with that so my map bump, there's the little duchy of whatever um that trades in mercenaries and they're they will kick your ass um and they're expensive um but uh okay you know when 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 you don't have to know everything when the map doesn't have to be all filled in to begin with and you just run with it you can get some pretty amazing stuff going on. um and and this is the thing the kid who had never played role-playing games before when i said i don't know what are goblins like and he got the input into the story and it was all incorporated and everybody's like yep that's what he said he said that goblins are like this and that's how it is he came back the next week and the week after that and the week after that because this wasn't my story this was his story because he told part of it and everybody listened and nodded their heads very gravely and said oh yes 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 that makes sense so um when you get gms complaining about well you know sometimes my players show up and sometimes they don't you know one always flakes or i can't get my players to role play you know i can't get my players to do x y and z um a lot of it is giving them the tool set whether it's in the system or in you know emergent gameplay 
give them some tools to use. And the first time they try it, say, I'm going to do this. Okay. It works. Yeah. You know, why not? Oh, okay. I'm going to try some more stuff. Okay. And I learned that actually from one of my first game masters way back in, in high school. Um, of course, the eternal game master, all we want to do is play. Okay, please run a game so that we can play. <laughs> he said, could you run a game for me? And I'm like, okay, cool. And he came up with this elf, um, an elf fighter, maybe elf ranger. And he wore a soft leather jacket, uh, fedora, and carried a bullwhip. Okay. And his elvish name was almost unpronounceable, but he insisted that everyone call him Jones. I'm like, oh, I see where this one's going. <laughs> okay, so Jones and his sidekicks are bobbing around and they're doing this and that. And they get captured by hobgoblins. And the hobgoblins are going to eat this elf. And he says, you shouldn't mess with me. You know, you've probably heard of me. I'm Jones. And I said, oh, yeah, puny. Everybody says they're Jones. And he says, but can everybody do this? And I said, do what? He said, you see that pine cone? And I'm like... I did not know that we were in a coniferous forest, sir. Um, but you're obviously going somewhere with this. So, uh, yeah, yeah, pine cone right there. He said, I'm going to whip out my whip and just nail that pine cone and then have it coiled and the whip back at my belt. I'm like, roll. And, of course, that was the time he pulled out the natural 20. <laughs> and the, the pine cone explodes over the, the hobgoblin's head and the whip is back curled at his side. And they all kind of look at each other and give a little golf clap. Okay, oh, okay. He's, he said he was Jones. Okay. So so this group of hobgoblins became kind of this um, these uh, reoccurring NPCs. You know, they're like, okay, hey, Jones, you know, we're not going to mess with you. You know, have a nice day. Um, you know, don't hurt us. Don't kill us. And we'll just be over here, you know, running away. And so every now and again, the hobgoblins would show up. And they'd be like, Jones, 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 get in the, get in the bushes. Get in the bushes. No, no, shh, shh. And the dragon flies overhead, and Jones is like, what did you do? Nothing. What did you do? <laughs> We've irritated a dragon. Now you're going to have to deal with it. So, um, But again, emergent gameplay. I didn't know he was going to do that. But if, as a GM, if you trust your players, because they got to trust you, they got to trust you to give them cool things to do and to not just like murder them straight up, because we could. You know, rocks fall, everybody dies. they got to trust you. you got to trust them, too. And I, that's one of the things I see about a lot of these GMs is like, yeah, I was running my party through this adventure. Like there was a there was a woman on TikTok. She said I was running Curse of Strahd, and they didn't want to do that. You know, I I I, I pitched them the idea, and you know, the Ravenloft and this and this. And as soon as they found out which direction Strahd's castle was, they turned and headed the other direction. And she's all depressed about it. She's like, you know, they're doing all these other things, and everybody seems to be enjoying the game, but me. And she had to stitch this, and I said, well, respectfully, um, are you a bigger fan of the player characters, or are you a bigger fan of your own preconceived notions of what the plot is going to be? Okay, and until you answer that question, uh, you know, there, there really isn't any advice to give you, um, because if you're a bigger fan of the, of, the, of the characters, follow them around, you know, and, you know, any, any direction that they go, give them something you know, interesting and painful to interact with. Um, if you're a bigger fan of your own plot line, then you are going to have to incentivize the players to do the things that you kind of hope that you wanted them to do. And I said, I'm biased. I know which way I would go, honestly. Um, and because I'm not, you know, I'm not that big a fan of railroading. Um, and, uh, I know the, the line is, uh, 
if your if your campaign has come off the rails, that means at one point it was on rails. <laughs> so you might <laughs> discuss that. You know, they can't they can't go c- completely crazy if you didn't kind of already have an idea, a preconceived notion of what they were going to do. You're not a fan of like railroading and stuff. I am really curious what you do for prep, uh, both for like a campaign that you're going to run, and then also just like session to session. What does that look like? Um. Well uh let's take let's take three big steps back um when i was running middle earth one of the things that i love most about the middle earth campaigns from iron crown enterprises is they gave you the map a really detailed map and they gave you four or five points of interest on the map okay so there's problems with the hill folk and there's problems with the trolls and there's this dragon over here and then there's like these elf elven like scientists slash wizards they're up in the mountains so any way they go any way they wander around the space they're going to interact with somebody um and this meshed in really nicely with the idea in some of the pbta games of fronts okay you don't have a plot line you have a problem that's going to get worse okay so if you've got the dunlending um tribes are getting crazy there's going to be a civil war that's a front you got the dragon that's looking to expand his territory. That's a front. Um, and then if you have a kind of an idea of three or four or five things that are going to escalate if um, if you don't uh, run them down, um, and then you can kind of organically follow the party. It's just like, oh, what happened to our village? Oh, the, the hillmen showed up and they, they raised it. They leveled it. What? Yeah, you'd heard all those rumors about the Civil War. I guess it spilled over. Oh, geez, we got to go and deal with that. Yeah, you kind of do. Um, so, um, so I really fell in love with the idea of fronts because then your prep is just you don't have to write the dialogue, you don't have to write chapter, line, and verse. You have to write down that one good idea you had and then logically progress it in a bad way. So when um, one of my parties. Uh, there was there was there were things coming up out of the sewers like undead and that was just my idea undead are coming up out of the sewers and i thought why would that be and i didn't know and i'm like okay something is happening long story short it turned out there was a gate to hell gate to the to inferno that had been sealed and the way it had been sealed is they had bound an angel to it as a living guardian okay and um what was happening is one of the dukes of hell would come and visit the angel every now and again and hasn't like turned him to the dark side but has made him really 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 lonely <laughs> he's like gosh it must have it must have been really nice in paradise wasn't it yeah it must have been really beautiful gosh i you know i remember when i was an angel man so pretty up there in paradise anyway would would you care to play some chess it's your move you know and so the angel has just been desperate. He doesn't, he, he, you know, he'd never turn his back on, on his duty and he's, you know, bound here, but he really, really, really wants to go home and he hasn't been paying attention and like minor evil spirits have been like seeping through the gate and inhabiting bodies and whatnot. Um, so I'm like, okay, that's where we're going to start and we'll just see where it goes from there. When I had um, the orc king, there's an orc warlord. I'm like, I don't want the orc warlord to be stereotypical. I want him, he's, he's got a problem. I don't know what his problem is, but he's, he's raising an army, but he wants to raise it right. So the party shows up in the village and they're like, oh my gosh, the orcs were just here. Oh, did they burn everything? No. What? 
Yeah, they came in and they're like, we need to see your like able-bodied people, all of them. And they took them. Oh my gosh, they took all the able-bodied, no, they took like a third of them. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, they like lined everybody up and were like, hey, you know, oh, this guy and, and this lady and, and stuff. And, and they took our stuff. Oh, they took all your stuff? No, they took like some of it and gave us money. What? <laughs> uh, and it, it basically the, the warlord was sending out troops to like get, you know, recruits and supplies, but he didn't want anybody hating his guts and he certainly didn't want a rebellion at his back. So he's like, uh, and pay him, just make sure. Yeah. You know, it's like, here's, here's money for his, his service in the fields for the next year. And here's some money for the grain and load it up in the wagon. We'll go. So the party shows up ready to you know, rock and they're like, they're recruiting. Um, what? Maybe they need to hire us. So they went and they found out what the real problem was and came back. Um, so my prep, say you and I were going to do a game. I've got a, I've got a game coming up with some friends here in a bit. Um, my initial prep would be some session zero stuff to find out about the characters, you know, um, what, what at some point, my favorite, uh, description of, um, fail forward is, uh, uh lock picking. You roll the dice and you do a complete success lock comes open proceed with your narrative seven to nine partial success well maybe you break a few picks or maybe it takes a lot longer than you thought so the bad guy gets a little further away or um somebody's coming and you have to just like rush into the room without really checking um you know problematic you know, success but and my favorite with the failure is not the lock stays locked that's boring and then you're going to have to make another roll, and you're going to have to make another roll, and it kills the narrative dead. It kills the flow of the story. It's so much more interesting. Oh, oh, I rolled a four. Oh, no, the lock whispers open. It's somebody oiled it recently. Really? Yeah. Door swings open. You're looking into a room. Um, it's not very big, but it's got a lot of uh, bunk beds. Boy, that's a lot of bunk beds. And um, foot lockers. Lots of foot lockers. And there are eight guys at a large table they appear to be playing dice and all heads turn slowly to look at you kneeling in the hallway with a handful of lock picks they all have armor and weapons what do you do okay now that that advances some uh, a narrative okay it doesn't stop it dead and it's like a time time to think of you know time to think of something to do here thief and one of the other people on the board was like, well, does that mean you don't know what's behind the door until they roll? I'm like, kind of, you know, asterisk. If you know that it would make sense to have a guard room around here somewhere, why not have the thief find it accidentally? Isn't that more interesting? You know, if the ranger is out in the woods and you know that there's bears and goblins and pixies and dragons and he rolls real well on, uh, you know, I'm going to search for tra tracks. Oh, you find some. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, bears. Oh, there's also, they're all the bears here. I mean, it's like a bear convention. It's crazy. <laughs> and they're like, oh, geez, you know, we got to gotta run away from the bears. So um, so if you start with a session zero where you're picking the, the, taking a real good look at the, at the player characters, that gives you plot hooks. That gives you um, character hooks. One of the other convos I was having is um, no culture is monolithic. No culture that we've ever bumped into is monolithic. So why would all dwarves be the same, all elves be the same, all orcs be the same? Um, and then we get, then, you know, D&D &D is going berserk. Well, we're going to eliminate racial bonuses and we're going to eliminate. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But, um, you know, I still want to play my orcish berserker. Okay, well, what, is, what do the rules look like? 
it looks like everybody gets like a plus two, a plus one, a minus one, and like some special effects. So tell me about your culture. Oh, uh, we're desert elves, desert dwelling elves. Oh, cool. Um, what do you? What's your plus two in? Ah, uh, constitution. Why? Oh, we're tough. We we value toughness. I mean, you know, you can be just. I mean, the sun's beating down, and you, you know, you've had a one mouthful of water in the last six days. You just t- you got to be tough. Okay, cool. What's your plus one bonus? Uh, charisma. Why? Oh, we're entertainers. We're known, you know, the children of the desert are a beautiful race, and they, you know, they dance, they sing. Oh, okay, cool. We're 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 like, you know, uh, being able to entertain is like societally very acceptable. Oh, okay, cool. What's your minus? Uh, strength. Why? Well, you know, muscle, eh, raw brawn. Ooh, I can break this with my head. We we don't care. You know, could care less. All right. So, what do you want for your special effect? Um, hey, instead of night vision, can I have like super duper day vision? What do you mean? If I'm staring across like a salt pan, just just white and you know noon sunlight, I want to be able to see like a hawk like two miles away. That's that's so much more interesting than night vision. Oh, okay, cool, cool. And then what happens? I thought I've got five players at my table. I've got five different cultures. I've got five different locations. I've got five different homelands. They're not monolithic, so nobody. Oh, that's racist. No, it's not. That's his culture. The desert elves, that's his culture. Now, the elves that live in the hills, like 16 miles, 20, 50 miles away, they are nothing like the desert elves. Nothing. I mean, there's some interrelatedness. But no, they, it's a completely different culture. So if you say, you know, the kid raised by the dwarves, the human kid raised by the dwarves, thank you, Terry Pratchett, um, he's going to act like a dwarf. He's going to act like a dwarf culturally. He's going to, you know, he's going to be honest, and he's going to be hardworking, and he's going to have, you know, this and this and this. Um, but then you don't need, don't, you don't have anything. Nobody can point at you and say that's racist because it's not. It's cultural and right. it's not monolithic. And if all your dwarves, I mean, I've got seven dwarves in the party. Okay. They're all from completely different clans. Oh, okay. Cool. Great. So they're nothing, they're nothing alike. And they probably fight more amongst each other, you know. Right. Yep. Scottish Highlanders, you know. Um, so I would, I would prep by talking to my players about their characters, what they want. Um, John Wick with uh, 7th C 1st edition had his 20 questions that, that he had the the players answer. What is what what is your character's view on religion? What's your character's view about magic? Um what would their their family say about them? Um do they have a, a love interest? Is there somebody they are they're in love with? Is there something they hate? Um if if they could pick the way they died, how would they do it? You know, and you say that to a paladin, like, oh, I want to be, I want to be like the last in line at the rear guard fighting off the hordes while all of my friends escape. And I want them to remember me, you know, weeping into their beer as the one who, who, who let them, you know, died so that they might live. That's wonderful, beautiful, amazing. Okay. And even if it, even if it doesn't work out that way um, in play, you know that's in the character's head. It's just like, yes, the essence of this character is defense and protection. So give them lots of opportunities to defend stuff and protect stuff. And then, um, you know, when you get into character motivation, um, one of the things I like about PBTA is it doesn't have alignment, but it does have motivation goals, uh, which I have I have stolen liberally from my game. Um, if you've got a motivation goal, you know, is your paladin good? Do they protect the innocent? Or are they lawful and they uphold the law? 
both of which are valid motivations, but both would cause them to react very differently in the same situation. Um, or is it to punish the wicked? Ah, so you have three paladins, same culture, same religion, same God, with three different, very, very, very different motivational goals. And, you know, now, you know, let the play begin. Um, another thing that I love about um, really digging into character concepts, um, I was, I started uh, being a professional GM uh, beginning of 2000, or 20, 2020. And uh, one of my players, I had players in nine time zones and four continents uh, one of my players was irish and he's like well you know is it going to be a, a difficult um coordinating a time slot i said no we'll figure it out he said also i'm deaf <laughs> oh um what do you normally use for communication i said normally we use discord but you're gonna have to like type stuff hmm this is not optimal hmm let's see so we kicked it around and then i found out that google meet has got a built-in closed captioning function and we tried it and it's very robust i'm talking it's printing he's typing back and i'm like okay great so it's like you're in okay we're going to be playing on wednesdays so he shows up That's on awesome. Wednesdays. yeah it gets better i think you, you you decide he shows up on wednesday and he's like i'm gonna play a dwarf i'm like oh good hey is your character hearing or deaf oh he's deaf i'm like oh 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 yeah um your people, you know, you're part of your clan is part of a, a, a larger group. Your clan is all profoundly deaf. Um, your family name translates to Masters of the Forge because you're guys, you guys don't mind the sound of hammers. Okay. Also, there's DSL, Dwarven Sign Language, um, and all of the, I mean, the, the, the under deep fighters. Wait, 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 wait. We can communicate perfectly in complete silence while hunting things in the underdark. Sign me up. Okay. This is the best thing since Betty White. Okay. And um, they're going, you know, and it's like, oh, and, and the folks who like deal with your kingdom, most of them sling a little bit of DSL just in case, and like the merchants and the traders. And he's just loving this. He's just, oh, you know, my private chat, he's like, this, I, I couldn't have begged, I couldn't have asked for this. You know, this is great. And then the paladin, bless his heart, sweet kid, but somewhere on the spectrum, he's like, my paladin can heal you. <laughs> and there was a pause. And I said, uh, Pally, Pally, um, your, your buddy here knows you, you know, he, uh, he, he knows your heart's in the right place, but he's got a lot of cousins that would straight up murder you for implying that there was the slightest thing wrong with them. Okay. They are not ill. They are not damaged. This is very much a feature and very much not a bug. Okay. And if you don't want to get hurt. He's like, oh, I never thought of that. And my my Irish player afterwards was like, that was I, I that was something that I hadn't experienced. That's something I was, didn't expect in gaming. Um, you know, um, to land on the whole uh, a disability doesn't mean you're disabled. You know, a disability doesn't mean you're um, somehow less. Right. So uh, so 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 I I feel like I kind of knocked that one out of the park. But uh, yeah, so. Um, Again, in in when he said my my dwarf is deaf, bluff. I've got this entire culture that's going to support that, and an entire uh, group who's uh, who's taking best advantage of that and using it very very much to their benefit. 
Um, so it's just like, and, but I couldn't have come up with that if you'd sent me, be like, Hey, Owen, come up with like a, a unique little take on dwarves. Uh, how about death? I, that wouldn't have crossed my mind. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe it should have, but, uh, the other conversation we had was why do dwarves have dark vision? Why do they have superior night vision? They shouldn't. They live underground. Things that live underground don't have good night vision. It makes more sense to have good hearing superior hearing because if you can hear the bad guys coming and somebody said well if they were miners that wouldn't be good because it hurt their ears i said what if they can tell the difference between i just hit a rock and i just hit a rock with some ore in it they're like oh i hadn't thought of that and then i said oh by the way creatures with superior night vision are all obligate carnivores so elves are terrifying hi we live in the trees we see really well in the dark we eat you i'm sorry you do what oh yes <laughs> we could hunt elk you know pshaw or we could invite some stupid humans over for dinner you know i was just like you know elves should be elves should be terrifying and then the other guy says well well you know they could be prey you know superior some some creatures with superior night vision are, are prey species i said congratulations now you've got to come up with what's predating on an intelligent race so you got to find out the monster that's hunting elves, right? Let's go visit the elves. Oh, let's go out in the dark. The elves are like, are you out of your mind? Monsters live in the dark. You're crazy. No, no, no. We're going to stay here by the fire. So I was like, you know, ex examine your, uh, your preconceptions and go to town on that. I saw a uh, TikTok earlier today, actually, that was talking about, uh, like, the physiology of dragons. Uh -huh. And like they have massive horns and like armored plates and spikes, and uh -huh. that is most common in uh, prey animals. Prey species that yeah. use it for defense. So uh, the only other thing that it really could be is for like displays for like mating and stuff. Right. You know, so it's like okay, so the physiology is telling us that there are things that hunt dragons. Exactly. You know what? What's scarier than the dragons? And then yeah. a lot of people were like, well. I mean, you have adventurers that hunt dragons, and dragons hunt other dragons, and right. you know. But it was just kind of an interesting take on the the things that we're seeing. You kind of have to, or you don't have to, but if you right. think about them a little bit more in depth than mm -hmm. you know, maybe you're normally looking at it, you can find right. some some neat details there. Well, somebody made that point about the Tarasque as well. Tarasque is covered in spikes. Why? What's going to bite it? You know. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a display. They're unique. They're, they're, there's one of them. They, they don't mate. They don't need to. There's one of them, and it's eternal. Why would it have spikes and plates and horns and stuff? That was fun. No, I've been, I've been in a, I don't know if you watched it, but I've been in an ongoing debate about dragons. And because uh, the, the, the question was, why would a dragon land to fight you? And, uh, of course, there's no reason for it. No dragon wouldn't. Um, so I said, I got three takes on this. The first one is that a dragon will murder you because they're like Batman. If they can't do it themselves, they'll figure out a way to to do it. And again, how many boulders would they have to drop on your head from well outside a crossbow range before you just gave up and went home? Sorry, this isn't going to help. Um, you know, and all the little tricks and traps. And it's like you've got a, you've got a hyper-intelligent creature that is an alpha predator of intelligent creatures um, who has dozens if not decades if not hundreds of years of experience who wants to live in a massive fortune um if 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 there's a weakness they've found a way around it and they'll murder you and they're going to assess your abilities and you know blah 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 and i said my second take is maybe they're curious they're predators all predators are curious and it's what's that what's in the tree over there 
Can I eat that? And an intelligent predator is, huh, is that somebody that I could like dominate and get it to worship me and get it to do things for me or bring me some money? Um, so, you know, but they're not going to land next to you. You know, they're going to be up on pride rock. What are you doing in my land? You know, and maybe they're bored, you know, oh, how much, what's your intelligence? 20? Yes. You're a little less stupid than the rest of these little apes. Um, do you have any books? I'm, I'm terribly bored. Read to me or I'll kill you. Oh, geez. And then the <laughs> third, the third take was, um, maybe they're the local government. You know, if three, if three quote unquote good dragons got their heads together, like, Hey, why don't we kill like the bad dragons and like take over this region and like charge taxes to the little apes? What? Yeah. They, they bring us food and money every now and again. And yeah, and we'll protect them. Oh, so if the local Baron is, you know, Baron Scytherax, you know, who will, who will ruin you if you try to show up on their little village there. Maybe the dragon lands because it's tax time. You know, have you ties to me recently? I don't think. Bring me a sheep. I need a sheep right now, please. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I've got some people very exercised about that. They're like, no, we killed 17 dragons by the time I was fourth level. I'm like, your GM is not using them to the best of the earth. <laughs> Just all I'm saying. Definitely but, not. <laughs> yeah. No, no wrong fun. No wrong fun. But there is there are many times when I go, I think I would have done that a little different. Yeah, I think the one campaign that I was in that we fought a dragon, it was not a, we were, I don't even remember what level we are, but it was not an easy fight mm. <laughs> at all. No, 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 no. And um, oh, with the, uh, the the tax dragons, the, the baron dragons, I said, uh, it would be pretty easy for a dragon to come up with the idea of if I had a rider who knew what he was doing, um, I could probably outclass a dragon my size that didn't have one if he had like a big crossbow or a you know a hooked uh lance or something i could probably have a have a tactical advantage if i had a rider so dragon knights become a become a possibility but yeah i mean and it's just i i love um i love those little like intellectual what ifs you know and i terrified my party they got they got uh uh, they got gated to a different dimension where the dragons were the all the government and they ran afoul of some some dragon scientists who are just fascinated by the, oh you're from a different dimension oh gosh you know and they're all oh can we have like a tissue sample no i'm using all of it are you sure no if i if i if anything falls off you can have it um and uh my players were getting completely freaked out at being like carefully examined by these these mega predators you know who are very polite but they're like you're freaking me out so you know whatever it takes you mentioned professional game master you're a writer an indie developer a bit do you want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you have worked on sure um i started working um in game design uh, almost accidentally i did some work for steve jackson games uh published some articles in pyramid magazine starting back i think in 99 there were five or six or eight of those. Um, I bumped into the uh, In Nomine game. Um, absolutely fell in love with the fluff. Um, the system, again, could use some work, but I absolutely adored um, the idea of angels and demons in a modern day and a musical motif. So I was playtester on something like, excuse me, six of the six of the In Nomine line, um, and then. Uh, wrote some articles so there was a website called women in gaming um and i did a, a a piece there on um adapting the works of laurel k hamilton to a gaming uh environment 
um and i started doing uh like little supplements and um when pbta cooked off uh i came up with a swashbuckler character swashbuckler playbook that i quite enjoy and then i wanted an environment for him to 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 live in so i created a setting that i called l'empereur's salon which is um you know if you're gonna have a dashing social swashbuckly character might as well give him you know a drawing room and a ballroom and a you know lurching uh ship to uh to be all you know pirate king about um so i came up with that um that's on uh, itch.io and uh drive through rpg um and I keep falling in love with different games. Um, Fiasco is amazing. I have a I have a Fiasco playset that's based on a work by the author Roger Zelazny. The book is called A Night in the Lonesome October. It's one of the best things he ever he, he ever wrote, and I reread it every October. It's just that good. Um, so I came up with a Fiasco playset based on it. Um, that's on itch as well. Um, and uh i ran into a game called dialect i backed the game uh dialect on kickstarter and then a friend of mine turned around and bought me the the box set of it dialect is the subtitle is a game about language and how it dies and it's absolutely amazing a third of the book is how to play a third of it is uh, what they call backdrops which is kind of like settings and then a third of it is actually about language construction and i've been studying phonetics and uh, phonics um both as an educator and as an actor you know for 30 years because you have to know how the different um vowels and and consonants work together in the different uh accents you see um so when they're talking about you know here's some german roots and some russian uh um uh, suffixes and how everything binds together i was absolutely in love so i had to run out and um and make up a, a backdrop for dialect and that one's actually a twofer because it's based on the old twilight 2000 game um the conceit is that you're a little military unit that has lost contact with everybody in this tiny little town in germany and uh then the russians show up and surrender <laughs> And so you're all like, what are we doing in this tiny little German town trying to get along in English, German, and Russian? And um, so I hope some people pick that one up and have some fun with it. Also, I was writing a supplement for Dungeon World, um, which happened accidentally. My player, I said to my players, I said, what do you want to play? And they told me. And I said, well, I've got this uh, like a fantasy game, but it's like post-apocalyptic fantasy, like all the gods went to war with all the other gods and demons and and fairy kings and cthuloids and stuff and and all the magic drained out of the world um except for little pockets here and there what do you think and they're like well so it's all the fantasy tropes of elves and dwarves and orcs and stuff but it's also all the post-apocalyptic tropes you know dust storms and ash and raiders and clock punk robots and things and i'm like yeah they're like yeah we'll we'll play the hell out of that so that originally was going to be a dungeon world um setting um with a couple of modifications um and when one of the creators of dw uh had his public implosion um i talked to a few people that i know in in the biz and they very quietly nodded and said you probably want to distance yourself from that particular franchise so i had to turn around and make it into a completely full-blown game which i like because i got to add a few things in there that i like 
um, as far as character interaction. Um, so it's called Splintered Moon. I do have an art-free version of it on uh, itch.io um, with the idea that it was supposed to pay for the arted version, and I'd give you a discount on that. I've changed tactics on that, though. I've got the, the playbooks, the character sheets um, for uh, Splintered Moon that are going to be going up live probably by the time this this broadcast broadcast hits the air on the 25th um if not i'll i'll give you an update on that but uh yeah it's just uh it's nine different character playbooks which are a, a post-apocalyptic take on you know classic classic uh fantasy uh character tropes um so uh i i hope i hope folks like them um, they're going to be a lot of fun. Uh, that's phase one. Phase two is a play kit that incorporates all of them, plus some GM advice. Um, and then phase three is the full, full-blown book with art and uh, and good layout. So I'm I'm really excited about that. That's awesome, and I like that you have kind of a, a phased approach to it. It seems like a pretty uh, good way to go about that kind of publishing process. There, I hope so. You know, from 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 your from your mouth. To Loki's ears, no. Um, where can we find you at online? Online, um, uh, my presence is slightly growing on TikTok. Um, this time last week, I had I think about six hundred um, followers. It was four days to a thousand, and currently, oh, I just hit two thousand. <laughs> like just now, I just looked at my TikTok. I just hit two thousand. I am at. Carpe G M A Z D A R P E G M A Z. Uh, you can find me there with some some scandalous content about gaming. Um, you can find me on itch.io. The publishing company is Four Horsemen Publishing, and that is um, you'd probably be best just to look for Four Horsemen Publishing on itch because the uh, the URL is a private joke, and it's hard to spell. So um, that might be best if you're looking. It's Fallon Spog, F-A-L-L-O-N-S-P-A-A-G dot itch dot io. Um, but yeah, probably a search for Four Horsemen Publishing would be a little easier. Awesome. Well, I think we can probably wrap the episode up here. Um, so it was great having you on the show, Owen. I, I had an amazing time. Thank you for the invite. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Masters Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.